Welcome to episode 229 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we review the Anzac round in the NRL. We discuss Talakai, state of origin, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 229 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, Anzac round is over. The Tigers are up off the canvas yet again. Surely, surely you had a bumper long weekend. Oh, yes. It was absolutely tremendous. Action-packed, full of rugby league, got to say, Dr. T. And I think it was a great Anzac round. You know, obviously the Tigers winning helps my mood, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, but, but look, even if that wasn't the case, the, the fact is that was an incredible game. It came right down to the wire. And I also felt that the Anzac traditional round between the Dragons and the Roosters was also quite phenomenal. And, um, and the Melbourne Storm, oh, my goodness, like, you know... Um, Taking no mercy. the Warriors to town, you know, mercy indeed, no right? Mercy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, so I think it was a tremendous round of rugby league. And, um, you know, I think it's been, uh, it's been hotting up, I think. And, um, you know, people get like magic rounds coming up, the, um, you know, the Pacific, um, the mid year Pacific, uh, tests are coming up. And, of course, State of Origin is coming up. So I think it's, it's a good time to be a rugby league fan at the moment, Dr. T. How about yourself? Oh, yeah, I agree. I think it was a really great round of rugby league. We had lots of really exciting games and lots to talk about. But look, uh, yeah, look, I, I'll, leave you, I'll leave you with one question before we launch into our six tackles, which is, do you think there should be a rule that after you score a certain number of points, the game gets called off? <laughs> I, think, I think the Warriors <laughs> might be asking for that mercy rule. Uh, because, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the storm as well. That's unbelievable. But, look, it was a big round. There's a lot to talk about, and there's a lot of that's actually came out of that round uh, that, that you know, it was uh, very much a lot of talking points. So let's just launch into our sixth yeah. tackle, shall we? Look, look, before we get onto it, I just realised okay. that um, since the last time we recorded, uh, it's, it's ticked over the 20th of April. The 20th of April is actually the NRL's birthday, because round one in 1908 started in the 20th of April. So happy NRL birthday, Dr. T. Well, happy. It's also Adolf Hitler's birthday, I think. So that, that's another. <laughs> okay, well, I'm right. Maybe we should have picked a different day, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so random. Right. Yeah, that is. All right, cool. Oh, but anyway, look. Uh, yeah. Let's move let's right along, into, I think. Let's launch into, uh, well, you know, what a segue. Anzac round. Here we go. Tackle number one. Our review of round seven of the NRL. All right. Let me quickly go through the. Like it really was an epic uh, round of uh, of the NRL. Uh, 
So first we had the Sharks beating the Seagulls 34 to 22. Uh, then the Broncos 34 to 14 over the Bulldogs after the Bulldogs, you know, it was a pretty tight affair for a while until uh, the Broncos blew them away. The Cowboys, no mercy, 30 to 4 against the Titans. The Tigers, 23 to 22 in, uh, in epic fashion <laughs> against the Rabbitohs. A uh, lot to talk about there. The Eels, 39 to 2 against the Newcastle Knights. The Panthers, 36 to 6 over the Canberra Raiders. Uh, and then the two Anzac Day games. The, saw the Dragons in the traditional Sydney clash defeat the Roosters 14-12 to in a really superb game of rugby league. Good on them as well. Uh, heavily favoured the Roosters were, I would think, but uh, not to be on the day. Um, and finally, the Storm. We were talking about no mercy, 70-10 to against the Warriors at Amy Park to round off the Anzac round. Uh you know, in, and, and let me just go through, I, I probably forgot to mention, you know, the, there were some really good crowds. I mean, it was, mm. I know it's a long weekend in in, uh, in Australia here, but I think, look, if you look at the crowds, you had the Broncos, um, Suncorp Stadium, Friday night, 23,000. That's about to be expected. Uh, and 14,000 for the Cowboys home ground, Queensland Cup. Country Bank Stadium, 14,000 for the Tigers Rabbitohs at Combank Stadium on a Saturday evening, um, 25,000 at Newcastle for Newcastle mm. and Parramatta, 20,000 at Bluebet Stadium, Panthers home ground against Canberra, 35,000 at the SCG, the Sydney Cricket Ground for the Dragons Roosters game, and then 22,000 for the Storm and Warriors game at Amy Park. So look, you know, obviously, Anzac Round is uh, it's for the fans, really. I mean, look, obviously, they love the weather was okay uh, for the most part, and they came out in droves. And uh, you know, a lot of people went holidaying around uh, around Australia, but a lot of people went to the footy, and well done. But uh, look, I got to say, if we're going to talk about highlights, for me, there were quite a few. Um, if I was to pick just maybe one or two, I would say that Sydney. Dragons Roosters game was uh, was phenomenal. The way the Dragons held on to a fast finish in Roosters, uh, it was fourteen nil at halftime, fourteen twelve at the end. So clearly, they uh, parked the bus at the end. There, <laughs> they did their best to. They were out on their feet at the end as well. They were just uh, you could throw a blanket over them, as they say. That defensively, they were just. You know, they really dug deep in terms of uh, uh, their their physical kind of stamina. You could tell that they were tiring towards the end. But, look, something pulled them through, and it's probably that, that you know, the emotion about the Anzacs and the spirit, etc. They were really pumped up the Dragons and, and did the job against the Roosters. Uh, and I would say the other highlight for me uh, was the Tigers. But I'm not going to steal your thunder because I know that's going to be one of your highlights. So I'm going to mm. hand it to you to discuss that one. Uh, but yeah, for me, the Tigers' second victory in a row in very similar fashion to the one against uh, the the Eels on Easter Monday, and you know, two wins in what it was like five days apart. <laughs> so not an easy feat. But yeah, what yeah. were your highlights for the weekend, Tish? Well, well, absolutely. Well, firstly, I've got to say the NRL. I think one thing they do get right every year is the Anzac round, um, and uh, to the point where I felt like every game. You know, they had like some sort of ceremony. They had a, you know, they had a welcome to country. They played the, 
um, uh, the you know the Anzac Day traditional um, you know songs and the one minute silence. There was even a bit of controversy at, at Brisbane for that, but we won't get into that. But I think overall, uh, you know, I, I think well done to the NRL the way they've commemorated Anzac Day. Um, and yeah, I heard some really nice stories about Anzac Day throughout the week. You know, even hearing the very first uh, secretary of the New South Wales Rugby League was actually. Um, you know, honoured because he actually did go to World War One and um, you know lost his life there. So they kind of, you know, did a bit of a you know a, a bit of a, a talk about his story and his journey and all that sort of stuff. So which I think is really good. So it was good to see um, what the NRL was doing. And yeah, look in terms of the games themselves, obviously as a Tigers fan, two from two. I don't want to get my hopes up too high because I know that it's been two close games, two grinds. But I think. It's it's a great sign to see that the Tigers they could win a grind a grudge, you know where it's like set for set. Um, you know they're not just going to try and take the easy way. They're going to take the you know they they're going to they're, they're willing to pull up their sleeves and do do what it is. And um, this time Luke Brooks is the one that kicks the field goal um, after a couple of misses from from uh, Jackson as well. So good to see. And apparently you know according to Jess, uh, Jackson Hastings. Um, the reason why Brooks took it because Brooks wanted to take it. So, um, getting a bit more vocal and then sort of jumping into the, uh, you know, to the guru Hastings is uh, sort of uh, he's become a bit of a guru there, hasn't it? Like you know, he's he's sort of uh, the way he talks and everything like that is all the Tigers are now sounding a little bit like him, and now it looks like he's really sort of um, you know uh, got that sort of right sort of belief or attitude, what do you want to call it, to try and bump the team up. And they're doing great. And I thought that they uh, are in form and looking good. The other team, as you mentioned, St. George also getting a narrow victory, um, sort of turning their season around. So, um, you know, two coaches that probably two weeks ago, Griffin and, um, you know, uh, and Maguire, you know, probably, you know, getting their word processing skills out, trying to improve their resumes, (laughs) no longer needed. (laughs) <laughs> right, they can and delete LinkedIn. No need, no need for it anymore. <laughs> no need for it anymore. And guess who they're playing? They're playing each other this weekend as well. So, um, oh no, that's t- well, well, let's hope for a draw. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Just when you think, think you're doing well, and um, of course they had some really great press conferences as well. Maguire thanked the journalists um, because without the journalists um, going crazy at the Tigers, they wouldn't have the mateship that they have now, which was a very interesting, cheeky comment. And, um, you know, Griffin, uh, you know, we're going to go into this incident as well, but, you know, um, you know, suggesting that Daniel Super should have got two years in prison for his head on tackle, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, uh, which obviously he was joking, but I don't know. It's one of those ones where it's like, you know, is he joking? We're not sure, right? Everybody say, says it is joking, but he... I think it's called trolling. I think he was trying to do a bit... He's probably trolling the media because he knew it would uh, it would cause a bit of concern. <laughs> let's, yeah. not, let's not take the bait on that. Yeah. But look, um, you know, if the pressure is off those two, then, um, you know, I'd say that <laughs> Barrett and Nathan Brown, 70 to 10. Yeah. That is... Um, I, I, you know, I heard this. That's the second time he's lost by more than like where the Melbourne has scored seventy against one of his teams. Um, the other time when he was actually a play for St George um, after the, you know, I think it was in the two thousand season after the ninety nine grand final, they lost. I think it was the same score as well, seventy to ten, right? So, uh, yeah, it's that's quite tragic actually. So, uh, 
I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I know mean, these things, these things happen, though. So, yeah, they were just a little off the Warriors. <laughs> just a little bit, a little bit off. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but but you know, uh, Melbourne scored fifty four points in the second half, um, wow. which is, I believe, the the most number of uh, most number of points in a half since like St George's run in the 1960s right so uh, it's kind of kind of crazy right so uh, yeah don't, don't don't really know about the worries might need to deep dive on them in a few weeks time but um yeah what a great round of rugby league yeah absolutely and and uh yeah well let's move on <laughs> to, <laughs> to one of the big stories that came out of uh of the round uh and uh, it comes in the shape of a player from the Sharks whose name is Siasifa Talakai. So here we go with tackle number two. Let's talk about Talakai. All right. So the Cronulla Sharks center had an absolute blinder against manly in the first half he scored two tries set up two others uh virtually every time he got the ball he was super dangerous almost all the time he broke the line i think or you know pretty much every time they went in his direction they uh they got close to scoring if not actually scoring um directly as a result of his barnstorming running. Uh, let's talk about CSC Vitalikai because he, this wasn't the first time that he's come to the attention of uh, of rugby league pundits uh, this year, but that, that particular half of football uh, really cemented, you know, it was kind of so epic that uh, people are now talking about him being an origin bolter. And I think it has been confirmed that he's eligible for New South Wales. So uh, I believe that he, he will be in line for a discussion there, um, which we'll talk about soon anyway. But if I'm just looking at, uh, you know, if we just look at a little bit about him, so I thought we'd do a very quick kind of little profile about him. So he was, uh, so Talakai was born in, on the 18th of April, 1997. So he just had his birthday. So well done. Uh, what a birthday present to play like that in Anzac round. Um, he was born in Sydney, New South Wales. He's of Tongan and Nguyen descent. Uh, played his junior rugby league for Mascot Jets before being signed by South Sydney in 2016. So even though this is the first time many of us are hearing about him, he's actually been in the NRL for a little while. Um, he's been with the Sharks since 2020. Um, now, I think he had uh, he had some knee injuries and things like that from uh, around 2017. Um, I think he went to Penrith in 2018, but never made it into first grade. Uh, pretty much stayed in Penrith's uh, intra-super premiership side so he was obviously fundamental to their uh their kind of second grade side there um in 2019 he joined newtown after being released by penrith at the end of 2018 so after having won a premiership with them in uh, in the lower grades he then moved on to newtown played for them in the canterbury cup new south wales grand final victory over the wentworthville magpies so 
how about that for a pedigree? Mm. Didn't make it into first grade from 2018 on and 2019, but both teams he played for, he won premierships. Now, I don't know. This is saying something. The more I'm reading about this guy, uh, it's saying something. Then 2020, he then uh, made his debut for Cronulla. Uh, and uh, and basically since then, he's uh well he hasn't really set the world on fire, but certainly this year, he uh in his you know man of the match performance in, in the Anzac round against Manly definitely has come to the attention of uh like I said of football pundits. Uh, what is it about him? Well, I think if you uh if you look at him, he's a pretty pretty big strong fella. He can play multiple positions, but I think. At the moment, as centre, he's kind of found a bit of a home there. Uh, he's he's really big. He's built like, I mean, would you say he's built a little bit like a shorter version of Mal Meninga? I mean, quite bulky kind of player, but super strong, super fast, and uh, has some really great ball handling skills. And, and you know, he got the hands of a halfback, as some people have said online. So if you look at the stats in across the NRL of players topping certain uh, statistical categories. There's two that stand out that have him uh, either at the forefront or close to the forefront. So one is line break assists, which is around passing. Um, and he is at the top uh, with nine line break assists. And second is Nico Hines from the Sharks on eight. And in fact, third is William Kennedy with seven. So that tells you what the Sharks are doing. They've got the top three line break assist players in the league. So that's fantastic. But another one is uh, tackle breaks. So the number one player is Josh Adokar with 43 tackle breaks so far this year. Uh, Number two is... Talakai with 40, well, he's actually equal 43, sorry, I should say. Equal first is uh, Talakai uh, with tackle breaks. So if you look at line break assists and tackle breaks, you've got the makings of a barnstorming player who's able to uh, break the line but also assist his uh, outside backs uh, to break the line as well. Um, when you put that together and when you look at the fact he's got a pretty strong pedigree at the lower grades in terms of uh, – you know, winning premierships during, you know, his formative years uh, in in professional rugby league. And now he's kind of exploding onto the scene. Uh, uh, probably, uh, I don't know what his Dally M points will be, but he's definitely been talked about as a New South Wales origin bolter. So, Tish, CSC for Talakai, uh, you know, I've gone through a bit of his history, gone through a bit of his... Uh, uh, his stats and where he's kind of uh, on top uh, in in the league. Uh, what does that tell you about what, – what are your thoughts about him? Do you see that he's got a future uh, in New South Wales? Is he impressing you as much as he's impressing other, um, other rugby league journalists and, and fans? Well, look, um, certainly, well, certainly he's playing in a side that is doing really, really well. Um, so he is going to get noticed and he is one of the reasons why they're playing so well, because he's absolutely devastating, right? Um, it looks like, how do you stop him? You know, it really 
you know, it's kind of like a bit of a long, uh, runaway at the moment. Uh, and that's where you've got that, um, you know, Mal Meninga type comparison. Um, you know, in rugby union, you had that sort of phenomenon with like a, a Jonah Lomu, um, you know, and and uh, and he's certainly not built that way, but just the fact that he's a big body with some speed, you know, out in the backs with lots of great skill. Um, so, you know, if you give the ball with him to move, I, f- I feel like, you know, the Sharks have got a really winning formula with him. So, yeah, definitely he's got some attributes there, which would be nice to see. Um, and then, look, um, the, f- the other fact is, as you mentioned, you know, he kind of – he has been a bit of a journeyman, um, you know, had to play several years in the lower grades, probably part-time, right? Um, I believe he was um, – uh, at one stage, he was a garbage man, <laughs> Um you know, while living his NRL dream. So the fact that he was able to keep his body fit, work a full-time job, um, you know, play in the, you know, in the, in the lower grades. And now he's finally seen those rewards. I think it's a, it's a testament to, to his own ability. And uh, we have this trend down the NRL with, you know, we had Andrew Davey um, who played his second NRL game after, you know, having some injuries when he first played for Parramatta, but his second NRL game was at the age of 29. Um, and Cody Walker, obviously, I think, played his first NRL game after the age of 25 himself, right? And you've got this yeah. part, you know, you've got Telco. So you've got these, um, you don't necessarily have all the young, you know, you've, you've got the teenage sensations, um, you know, still sort of coming in. But you're also seeing some of these other guys who never got their chance when they were young, but then they're getting into the NRL a little older and, when they come, when they finally get their chance, they're taking it, which is really good to see because it means that it's not always about um, just, you know, it's not like, okay, you, you you didn't make the NRL and you're 21 and 22, just give up and, you know, give up your dream. Now there are players now out there showing that, yeah, they, there's still value in in signing a, a guy that's 25 or 26 and because and, they could do well for, you know, hopefully a long time in the NRL and, you know, my main thing is, yes, look, let's see him, you know, if he can get the um, the accolades at origin level and an international level, I think certainly Tonga would be interested in him. Uh, probably team New Way is probably going to look like he's probably going to be their best player, right? So they're probably going to be interested <laughs> so in it's, him. So he's most likely going to be the Tongan's, uh, uh, you know, star player as well. So, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. T- certainly we're talking about this year is going to be probably a breakthrough year for Tonga in the World Cup. And, um, yeah, he would probably feature in that. I would have no doubt at all. Yeah. And I still think he's he's probably young enough still, uh, just as long as he's uh, injury-free, to play over 200 games in the NRL. And that's what I'd love to see, you know, somebody getting a start a little later but then being able to – to even have a long tenured career in the NRL, I think that would be great. So, well done, Talakai. And I think the Sharks—they're definitely. I mean, they're headed towards the top four, aren't they? Like, I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to go against Parramatta, the Storm, and the and the Penrith Panthers uh, leading to the season. But they certainly seem to be a team that's on the rise. Yeah, they're definitely building up to it, and and you know, mirroring I think the the slow burn of uh Talakai's star and I think if you look at if you look at I mean one way to say what you just said about the you know players being uh you know working their way up I guess uh over time is you know it's taken 
it's taken uh, Talakai, what, four years or so, more, six years, to be an overnight sensation because <laughs> that's yeah. basically what's happened. You know, it's it, and I think one of the things that you, uh, as you were sort of saying that this is something that you'd like to see is I think if we're seeing more of this, we, uh, this kind of not, not, you know, young, extremely young players with a level of maturity that they're not, whereas players that have worked hard, you know, as I just mentioned before with his bio, um, you know, gone into the lower grades, tasted success at the lower grades, but then had to fight his way back in. And let's, if we just look at, we've had seven rounds this year. For the first two rounds, he was an interchange. He then played second row against the uh, the Dragons in round three. And since then, he's had four straight games as centre. And if you look at the games he's had at centre from rounds four to seven, he has scored, he has had 17 tackle breaks in round four against the Knights, five uh, tackle breaks against the Tigers in round five, eight, eight tackle breaks against the Melbourne Storm last round, and eight obviously against Manly we just spoke about. So that's that is not a slouch of a player who can who can score uh, who can get eight tackle breaks against the Melbourne Storm at centre. So. To me, that you know, you look at this and you look at the fact that he's probably just found his home now at centre, and he's found the success that he's been looking for. And uh, look, yeah, good luck to him. I think uh, if he's in the mix for State of Origin and also the World Cup with Tonga, I look forward to seeing what uh, what he does because I think uh, he seems to be a uh, uh, seems mild mannered, uh, seems like a, he's got a mature head on his shoulders. Um, from what I've seen, uh, and they call him the chief. So, Chief Talakai, let's see what happens uh, through the course of this year. We wish you the best. Uh, it's been great seeing you blossom into a barnstorming player of, you know, reminiscent in my mind of, of, a, of a Mal Meninga um, in terms of the way he can just sort of overrun players, but also have the ball handling skills of a, of a Laurie Daly. And, and that's what I'd love to see what what he can do um, and w- what other versatility he can show with the Cronulla Sharks. So, you know, we're talking about origin. So let's segue into our state of origin rumours. So we tackle number three. Here we go. We're going to talk uh, early rumours on state of origin. Here we go. So we've got about a month or so to go before we start uh, seeing the New South Wales and Queensland squads being brought together and selected for Game 1 of State of Origin this year. So there's a little bit of time, but there's already some concerns, especially with New South Wales, that we've got uh, some possible injuries to some of our star players. So I think, Tish, I think it's this is the right time to start thinking about, you know, uh, who are the likely players that are in the mix in State of Origin? Mm. Uh, granted, there's still at least three or four rounds to go before those squads are selected, but I think it's worth talking about now. So, look, we were talking New South Wales, so let's stick with New South Wales for now. We've got, you know, some concerns around Tommy Turbo 
um, and Latrell Mitchell potentially uh, having sort of an injury cloud over them. Uh, I don't know what the latest is, but uh, this means that we've got, you know, some potential gaps to fill in our record-breaking backline from last year. Tish, we just spoke about Talakai being in the mix. I guess my first question to you is, is it too soon to be talking origin for Talakai? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think uh, I think definitely he's, he's bided his time. You know, he's got that. He's got that. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that's on and up. And I think he's the type of um, type of selection where uh, he could be a real weapon um, for the fact that that he is uh, so new to the NRL, right? So I think I think there could be a, a bit of a bolter with that. Um, but where things won't go well for him is the fact that um, I feel like with the form that Peppenhausen is in, um, if Turbo, I think Turbo is back in time, actually. So, um, you know, I kind of feel that they're going to go with the Peppenhausen in the centres uh, to replace Latrell as opposed to a Talakai. That's my gut feeling on it, but that, I think that's where that's probably going to let Talakai out and and sort of the other thing is I mean I don't know if Kalu is going to be the goal kick okay so they don't really need to worry about it, the goal kicking abilities of Latrell they just need to worry about the the centre pairing now Latrell is back in round thirteen so he's we're gonna he's gonna have probably probably game two it'll be too late for game one I think yeah too late for game one but game two probably he he might be in for that so. So that's probably where where that would go. Um, Do you think they would play? Uh, so uh, I don't know what's Papenhuizen's official nickname because I'm I'm going to call him Sonic because he looks like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. But, but he um he's isn't he fullback though? Like I mean, would you play him out of position? I mean, we got Tedesco as captain. Why would you? I mean, I could see him Papenhuizen being uh, a really great great player off the bench uh, or potentially, I mean, I know he's played, he's played winger before, hasn't he? Um, mm. So yeah, I put, I could see him as a um, bit of an all rounder gap filler in the back, um, but I'm not sure. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Like he's such a gun player and you don't want to not include him, but you want to make sure that you don't play him out of position. We've seen, in origin, when players are played out of position, it inevitably means they're going to have a terrible game. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> we've seen it was certainly we capitalised on Cape Will um, in uh, in the Queensland side last year, being out of position and uh, at centre. And even though he had he had some good uh, games and strengths, he was found out in defence for sure. And so I think. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about that. But, yeah, I think um, in addition to Talakai, we've got Katoni Staggs as well potentially in the mix. Yeah. So what do you think about him? Yeah, look, uh, that's a, I mean, he's kind of been waiting the wings a little bit, hasn't he? So um, that's where, uh, yeah. So, yeah, he's another one that could certainly fit that role in there sort of thing. So I'm just looking. Okay, so Brian Toho, he was on the wing. He's out as well at the moment on an injury cloud and he is not back well he should be back by round 10 um so yeah that should be that should just make it but is he yeah. is he going to be match fit is the question is he going to be match fit yeah because yeah when you talk about the fullbacks because last year the two centers for new south wales was 
Turbo and Latrell, who normally play fullback, right? They were the centers yeah. um, to get to uh, Tedesco in. So this is this is this is the this is the problem. Everybody's a fullback for New South Wales. <laughs> Sorry, we just got a whole backline of fullbacks. Yeah, yeah. Well, potentially you could because you know the other guy that probably should be there is King Gutho. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, no, I think Gutho Gutho's not quite at that level. Like I mean he did I know he did play a couple of years ago, but I think he potentially could be on the bench. But yeah, when you've got so many others that are knocking on the door uh with and have are in great form as well, it's gonna be hard to to throw Gutho in the mix as much as I love him as an Eels player. Um yeah, like I said, Sonic's there, you've got Talakai, you know, doing some things. There's a lot, well, even though he's not a fullback, but you've got so many players there that could play that role. Uh, look, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It is. It is. It really is. And, um, you know, lot like uh, I'm just looking at other players that could also be there too. Well, put it this way, like uh, last year in game uh, when, when um, you know, in the final game when, uh, you know, the, the Brennan Haas were out, uh, you had Jack Whiten uh, filling at 5'8". He's normally also in the running as a centre, and he plays 5'8 um, for Canberra, right? Mm. But he probably hasn't had the best form, I would say. Um, you know, so, yeah. So, I think I think with Peppenhausen, I feel like he's knocking on the door. He has been for a while. So, he could be the number 14. I feel like the number 14 would work perfect for him um, because I think he does have that spark coming coming out. Um, and then, you know, between the forward rotation, you've got, you know, Junior Paulo play, playing well. Because the other thing is with the forwards, um, there is talk that maybe, um, you know, uh, Brad Fittler might move away from Saifidi, who has um, who has been dropped for Newcastle, not really showing that that much of a form there. Yeah. So, so that kind of leaves the door open for another forward. Um, Stefano, who was the 18th man last year, he's been injured for the West Tigers, so... I don't think he'll have enough time. Um, so you probably have Paulo and, and probably Payne Haas, but you know Payne Haas has also had his uh, his suspensions and so forth this year too, right? So yeah, I think there are a couple of positions like that where you've had uh, you know the incumbents not really having that great of a start to the season, you know, just injuries and suspensions and things like that. So it does it does give a bit of an opportunity for some of these other players to come in. Um, over the top, you know, Regan Campbell Gillard. I always felt that he played really well for New South Wales when given the opportunity, um, but he's he's sort of uh, not been in favour of um, of of uh, you know Brad Fittler, the Brad Fittler regime at, at New uh, at you know New South Wales at the moment. So so, but I think I think he's been playing fantastic for Parramatta. He's certainly been leading their forward pack. Um, you know, so so yeah. Yeah. What the about James Palmer? Is, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, James Palmer has been doing okay. I don't, I don't know about Regan Campbell, Campbell Gillard. I think he's, uh, yeah, he hasn't really been setting the world on fire at the Eels necessarily. Uh, Tamo as well. I'm not really sure about him. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, I think he's probably his time has passed in terms of, uh, you know, his time at State of Origin, but. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm. I think with our discussion, I think it's clear that the backs. I think we've got plenty in the back line to replace those that are injured. The forwards, however, are not really, mm. um, are not really showing up a lot. So yeah, um, 
yeah, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, and so we're going to have a, an embarrassment of riches in the back line. And I think the forwards, potentially, we're going to struggle. Uh, this New South Wales, I'm saying, um, you know, as long as we've got our first players uh, fit and ready to go, we should be okay. But, um, you know, anything below that, and I think we, we might be in trouble. So hopefully those that are that are there that are in form, like Isaiah Yo from the Panthers and others, are not going to get injured, fingers crossed, um, because we're going to be in a bit of trouble, I think, uh, if, if that is the case. So turning our attention to Queensland, I mean, Queensland, uh, look, there's been a lot of discussion in the last few weeks around uh, the kangaroos and how Daily Cherry Evans uh, was was supported by uh, by Mal Meninga, I guess, as uh, uh, as the halfback for Australia for the kangaroos, over and above Nathan Cleary, who's clearly in much much better form uh, this year and has been well, for a couple of years actually. Um, you know. And has has achieved, you know, in, in at state of origin level, but also uh, with the Panthers. So there are question marks around. Uh, I guess, well, I guess the players like a, a with the new the Billy Slater era of Queensland Maroons coaching. Uh, what what's his view of Daly Cherry Evans? Not really sure. Um, but I'm guessing, uh, you know, he's not really going to muck around too much with Daly Cherry Evans. But there are some interesting other players that uh, potentially are knocking on the door and and uh, in terms of the playmaker role. So one of them is obviously Ben Hunt, who is on the hunt for DCE. Um, I don't know if his form of late has been enough to warrant uh, him supplanting DCE, but... I think uh, he's certainly in the mix in in the Maroon squad. Will probably play a role as a as a roaming kind of uh, uh, replacement dummy half. I would say uh, supporting. I guess it would be uh, it would it be well who, who's their who's their uh, their hooker? Would it be Harry Grant still or? Yeah, well, Harry Harry Grant's probably and obviously with the former Melbourne Storm. Um, he's he's definitely going to be up there, but um, I I'm also looking at Reed uh, Marnie, who I think last year was was injured, uh, which is probably the reason why that could have took him out of the mix. But I think that you know he's he's you know tied with Josh Curran for the number of charger downs this season, and he's had the you know the most uh, receipts, and um, you know he's got uh, like lots of running uh, meters as well. But so does Harry Grant, so. They've got some two capable uh, dummy halves already, um, mm. and then so yes, I suppose. Do you, do you take the the informed Ben Hunt? Do you put him on the bench? You know, um, you know, or or you know, and you know, he, Ben Hunt's been a good scapegoat for Queensland over the years. So, um, you know, they funny might that, just... funny that no one no one came looking for Munster and DC when they performed dismally last year. Yeah. Uh, but everyone, yeah, seems to look at Ben Hunt. If he drops a ball, it's all over. Yeah. You know, um, so if, yeah, it's funny that. Yeah. So if they are down by 40 or 50, just bringing you on for five minutes, get him to kick the ball out in the full and then go, Ben Hunt, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> let's blame him for everything. <laughs> let's blame him. So I don't know if that's, if, if that's the way. So yeah, so I think with, uh, yeah, with Queensland, it's, 
because look, DCE is established as as halfback. I think five eighth is kind of a lock with Cameron Munster, um, who's been informed. So I don't think they're. I think um, you know the million dollar kid Callum Ponger is probably going to be fullback. Um, you know, but there is lots of capable fullbacks out there. I think Jesse New for Brisbane's been playing pretty well too. Like you know, it's and Valentine Holmes. You know, he's been pretty good for the Cowboys this season. Um, playing fullback, wing, centre. He's kind of been playing all over the place there as well. So I think there is enough firepower for Queensland too. It's just um, just where where yeah where they fit. You know, it's it's a similar problem in New South Wales in a way. They've kind of got too many of the similar type of players all in form, right? And you can't pick them all. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, uh, maybe you're going to have to have Ben Hunt on the wing or something. You know, <laughs> like, what about? And I'm going to throw an, exactly. I'm going to throw another name, Sam Walker. What, what would you do with Sam Walker? Mm, that's a great question. Because he he is also knocking on the door of that halfback spot. Is it too soon for him? I think it is. Yeah, I think I think DC deserves uh, a bit of uh, a bit of room, a bit of space uh, to do what he needs to do. Uh, but again, it's a bit of a risk with uh, Billy Slater, first time coach. <laughs> you yeah. Know? What can he do? What can he prove? And and if they perform dismally, are the knives going to be out for Billy Slater or for DCE? Don't know. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, with Munster there, um, we know what Munster can produce. I don't know if DCE has produced that kind of level of, uh, uh, you know, uh, quality games uh, of late, but he's solid. He's certainly got one of the best kicking games in the league, uh, consistently has for a while. Mm. And I think that's that potentially could keep them in the game. So, yeah, who knows? Um, but, yeah, besides the half – sorry, you go ahead. I was just going to say, the biggest intrigue, you just got to nail it in the head for Queensland, is actually their coach, Billy Slater, right, and how he's going to go. Um, because he is like how Brad Fittler was for New South Wales. Like, you know, he's – you know, in the past they've tried the NRL coaches, they've tried the – you know, bring back the old coaches type thing. And then they went for somebody who was kind of a failed NRL coach but did well for Lebanon, right? And he's kind of uh, a bit quirky, right? Now, Billy Slater is an unproven coach, <laughs> right? Um, you know, he's played a lot with Cameron Munster. Um, and that's probably the only player he really knows, right? So they kind of – so I wonder – I just wonder what, like – do you think he might go rogue a little bit like Billy and just go for a whole bunch of new players that nobody even thought of? Do you think he might do that? Because I think Brad Fittler kind of did that a little bit, right? He kind of he kind of made some selections that were a bit different to to what New South Wales had always gone for, and then it ended up proving to be successful. Do you think Billy might do something like that? Are we are we sort of looking at the Paul Green Kevin Walters era and <laughs> trying to pick a team? <laughs> that they went for, whereas Billy's going to have uh, a different take on everything. And then I'm just thinking about that now. I feel he is going to side more with Reed Marnie than Harry Grant, just with what I've heard from his commentary about how he talks about Reed Marnie. Um, no, I don't think, don't think I so? think, mm. I think you're half right. I think they'll bring him in as, uh, as in, in potentially on the bench. Yeah, uh, because don't forget, Harry Grant can play roles besides uh, dummy half as well. 
Um, mm. And Reed Marnie, well, even though he's mainly a dummy half, I mean, I think he can, you know, there's nothing wrong with having two dummy halves and uh, especially late in the game when you need some some speed and yeah. speed off the line. Um, both can deliver that. Um, I don't think there's any way that Billy Slater would not side with Harry Grant as incumbent and uh, a storm player. So there's no way that he would favour Reed Marnie. But I think the comments that you, you're alluding to um, potentially indicate that he's thinking, he's kind of paving the way for Reed Marnie to be accepted as uh, part of that squad, which I, I think probably means that the likes of Ben Hunt and and those legacy players from uh, the the previous era are probably on their way out. Um, there are other players that, that uh, Billy has played with that, that would be still in line for this year's origin. So Kafusi would be one and, you know, pretty much any of the other Storm players, but Felice Kafusi would be an, another one as well. Um, but, yeah, so I think apart from that, look, we've got you know, obviously a few more weeks left. I don't think the Queenslanders have injury problems. I think their problems are working out who is going to lead the way and are they going to, you know, is their approach going to be one of youth, you know, investing in the youth and giving Reid Marnie and, you know, do we bring Sam Walker in, that kind of thing. Mm. The, the question is, do they do that now or do they risk going with their best players knowing that the some of those are out of form? Mm. Um, but because they're old heads, they've been there before, Um you know, they're more likely to have a bit of a stable influence on any newcomers. And if I was Queensland, I really, it's it's a fork in the road this year. It's either you stick with, uh, you know, the, the tried and true um, with maybe some injection of new talent um, with, with the, in the vain hope that game three last year was a realistic indicator of where you are placed against this red-hot New South Wales squad. Um, and at a risk of you doing that, that you could actually humiliate your players and set them up for another flogging um, this year? Uh, or do you invest now in the youth with a new coach, Billy Slater, who himself is you know inexperienced in coaching at this level uh, or at first grade level at all, has not had one game as a coach of any first grade team? Um do you just adopt a, a youth approach and invest for the future? Either way, um, and, and w- whereas New South Wales's drama is what to do with uh, the players that we really relied on last year who are the, the best in their position in the world and uh, their injury concerns. So, you know, New South Wales, Queensland, two different things to worry about <laughs> in the next month or so. Um, and I look forward to, yeah, have, we'll have this discussion again in about a month or so as we get closer to the finalisation of those squads. So let's move on now to tackle number four. We're going to focus on one Queensland player who's, uh, who's uh, taken a lot of attention uh, in Newcastle, Callum Ponga. So here we go. Tackle number four, King Andre and the Knights of Newcastle. Tish, what is this about Kalen Ponga? Uh, 
the drama around his re-signing with Newcastle seems to have derailed them a little bit. They've lost uh, focus. Uh, what can you tell us about what's been going on? Yeah, well, look, last week, um, you know, sort of everything blew up when it came to the Callum Ponga deal. Uh, a lot of people were saying that it had already been signed. But then last minute, there was some some turbulence uh, towards the end uh, to the point where I believe the the Newcastle CEO um, had had to end his holidays, uh, right, and come back from like Hawaii or, or Townsville or something like that. But look, um, finally, Callum Ponga ended the speculation that he would join Wayne Bennett's Dolphins next year by signing a five-year extension, which will keep him to the uh, Newcastle in 2027. However, you know, the person, I suppose the big drama came from actually his father, Andre Ponga. So a bit like King Richard of, uh, you know, the Williams sisters, King, you know, Andrew Ponga. We're going to call him King uh, Ponga for this uh, tackle, King Andre. He's been, uh, you sort of, um, you know, he's not a registered player agent, but he's been the front and center of the negotiations. He is the agent for uh, Kalen Ponga, which he's allowed to do without the, agent's license but he's been the he's been sort of front and center in 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 this whole drama right so he's he's firstly so a bit of thoughts on on andre ponga he's the uh, agent of his son kalen um he's also uh part of the coaching i don't know if he's the head coach but he's part of the coaching team for the newcastle knights women's team and he's also trying to become a registered agent to represent some of the women in his team right which I believe is a conflict of interest and maybe is the reason why he hasn't been granted that as well. On top of all that, apparently he made a lot of the Newcastle Knights uh, angry because when they actually, uh, when Kalen actually did sign, um, he wanted to delay the announcement um, to what suited King Andre. Or um, And apparently the reason why he was doing that is because he was trying to get a sponsor um, to, for the actual signing announcement, right? So <laughs> a little bit of extra cash, right? So, look, is this just an overzealous father looking out for his son? Or is this, or is King Andre drunk with power at the moment? Um, because, you know, apparently part of the reason why the deal got back together is that they actually pulled the, they actually pulled the contract um, and then said the Dolphins lowered their offer. <laughs> because they knew that Newcastle weren't interested anymore. So it kind of forced Andre to apologise to everybody internally that he had sort of rubbed the wrong way with his antics. And now um, once he's done the apology, the deal was back on the table and they've signed. Um, so I suppose a couple of questions for you, Dr. T. Firstly, is is uh, Callum Ponga a $5 million player? Like, is he a million dollars a year season player at the moment? Um, and is he in the future? And the second thing is, uh, do you think King Andre has overstepped his hand as an agent slash father? Well, two big questions. Uh, let me take the Andre Ponga question first. <laughs> <laughs> Which, look, I I don't know. I mean, the interesting thing to me is that when it gets reported that uh, a player agent was so difficult to deal with that it caused the club to do X, Y, Z and take the deal off the table and walk off in a huff 
and that's it. You got twenty four hours or whatever, um, and, and then you get journalists mm. going on about it like as if this is you know uh, King Richard or Steffi Steffi Graf's dad or you Mary know or, sorry Gillian at Jock Dockage and you know all those type of thing. Philip, you know, not Philip, who's the other one? Uh, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, when you look at it that way, you kind of think that's a bit of an over-exaggeration. I mean, like he was acting in the best interest of his son as yeah. you would expect him to as his dad and acting as an agent in the negotiations. Did he get overexcited? Maybe, but, you know, like, how many times have we heard stories of shenanigans going on during contract negotiations? You know, a club gets annoyed at, at the player agent stalling or the, or vice versa. The, the players get annoyed with the club stalling on a particular deal. Um, you know, funny things happening, contracts being ripped up and then rewritten, or in the case of the Storm, two contracts being written. Anyway, let's not go into that. But um, look... At the end of the day, is uh, Kalen's dad, <laughs> did he really cause that much of a ruckus when at the end of the day, results matter? And he's managed to score his son one of the richest deals in rugby league history, um, which leads to the second question that, or the first question that you asked, which I'm answering second, is he worth it? Probably not at the moment. You, I don't think he would be one of the top, you know, players in the game right now. Potentially, he could be. And I think, you know, often often uh, people are employed, uh, promoted, rise up the ranks based on their potential rather than their actual performance. Um, and I think maybe Newcastle is banking on building a team around Kalen Ponga, uh, you know, over time. And uh, fair play to them. I mean, I think who else are they going to build it around? <laughs> you know, like if if you want to if you want to do that, then fine. But then it just puts enormous pressure on Kalen Ponga to deliver. And um, you know, I guess the 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 sad thing of what I saw was the way the you know what would be considered kind of private information, private dealings was kind of plastered all over the news by by journalists. Uh, you know, Kalen Ponga, for instance, was reported to have asked Wayne Bennett, you know, what can you do for me kind of thing? Or that's how it was reported. Um, and to which Wayne Bennett, I think, sort of, you know, that, that probably annoyed Wayne Bennett, um, maybe the way he asked it. Whereas I think, you know, another way to look at it is, well, maybe he was just asking, you know, uh, how can you help me to get better? Uh, which is a fair question. If you want to, if you want to put two potential employers up against each other, you would say, "Why should I join your company versus the other company? What can you do for me? What? How can you make me be better?" Um, that's a, absolutely a fair question to ask. So, again, I saw this in the media. I don't know how much of this is accurate. Yeah. I don't know how much of it was slanted against Ponga to make Ponga and his dad look like ab absolute amateurs in this. But at the end of the day, results matter. And he got himself uh, one of the the richest deals in history, rightly or wrongly, whether you think he's worth it or not. 
as one of the top echelon of players, part of the top echelon of players at the moment. Um, you know, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, what are the other players doing? We're also hearing similar things about Munster and his negotiations and his, you know, is he going to stay or go and all that kind of thing. And, and so, look, there, this is a lot of what was reported. What annoys me, Tish, is that what was reported makes it look like, uh, like puts the Pongas in a bad light. But yeah. like I said, at the end of the day, the results should speak for themselves. They got themselves a great deal, uh, the best they could probably get in the circumstances. So, um, you know, report card, A+. plus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andre Ponga. It's, uh, that's the way I look at it, Tish. Uh, you know, and again, uh, the journalist, report card, C-. minus, <laughs> Because uh, you can never trust what they say. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Uh, what well, about you, Tish? I've spoken enough about it, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I, I do agree with what, what you're saying a, a lot because, like, yeah, I mean, the journalists seem to be all over this, right? And, look, I think, uh, you know, we criticise sometimes uh, the parenting of certain NRL players when we see their behaviour, right? And then here's a situation where you really have a father really looking out for his son, right, as much as possible, and that's that's in his best interest, right? Look, you know, the, don't know the whole situation about, the women's rugby league issue and everything like that. And I don't think it really, really should like, I, I don't think one thing or the other really is important. Like, I don't think it's like, um, I mean, it's a choice that Newcastle Knights had made as well. Right. With, with whatever he does from that point of view. And it does show that they did have a, a good relationship. So yeah, I, I think that's true. And then look, anytime you hear a story about Wayne Bennett sending text messages, you kind of know, look, this guy is, uh, in his 70s, anybody who's uh, had to try and help somebody uh, at that sort of age bracket send text messages, right? <laughs> no, this is Tish. not the easiest thing at that age, right? So That's right. Look, Tish, the last time Wayne Bennett got a text message, it was to tell him his COVID result. And... <laughs> And obviously, he uh, he then did not isolate as as he should have. But anyway, that that was from two years ago. Um, look, yeah, you're right. I think uh, I don't know. I don't know what to believe. I mean, they started talking about Wayne Bennett uh, on TikTok. I don't know. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe it one bit. He probably had a Tic Tac. They probably that's probably what it was. Yeah, probably needed a Tic Tac, a breath mint, or something. But look. Um, well, when's yeah, the last look, time you heard Wayne Bennett and the and the journalist on the same side, right? That that's never happened before. So I don't know how he's become like their golden angel all of a sudden. So exactly. <laughs> I'm highly suspicious, as you are, Tish, of what's going on in the background. But look, um, yeah, look, I think look my my final comment on this is yeah, at the end of the day, well done, Callum Ponga. Did this is your job, uh, is to get and and the job of an agent is to get you the best deal for you. Um, you know, it's not always about the money, true. Sometimes it is about positioning you in the correct in the correct way with the right team that will help you grow so that you can again, if it's about your potential you know, what goals are you looking for to to achieve in your career? Do you want to be the best player? Do you want to win premierships? Do you just want to make the most money? Do you want to be the player that leads a team and and that the team is built around you versus, you know, this is the monster situation. Does he want does he want to stay at the storm 
where he'll have continued success, no doubt? Or does he want to go to another place where he can get more money, where they can afford him, and then he can be the leading light and, and a team can be built around him, but with the risk of, you know, potentially you won't be uh, as successful uh, in, in in the team because you're, you're going to a team that's below the storm. So, yeah. you know, well, they well, did well, the Pongas. They did. They did really well, and I think. I think. Uh, I think at the moment, what Kevin needs, he needs to be in a club that does have the opportunity to play finals and and potentially play into a grand final, even win a grand final. I think that's what he really needs, right? Like, like you know. And I think Newcastle uh, versus the Dolphins, like if these are the two clubs that are interested in you, um, I think the Newcastle, even though they're not playing that well. They have a pretty good squad, and I think they've played finals the last two seasons. I think the I think there's probably more upside with the Knights at the moment. Um, plus, you're getting all the mentoring from Andrew Johns as well, right? So, which you know, which which is now it's kind of really good that your dad's kind of around. If Andrew Johns is mentoring you about football, but you can ignore the outside football stuff that Andrew Johns might influence you in, right? So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Enough of that, though. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on to tackle number five, and we're going to talk about the NRL CEO. Here we go. All right. So the NRL CEO, Andrew Abdo, says that Daniel Tupu's high tackle in the game, uh, the Anzac game of the Roosters against the Dragons, should have been a sin bin. Yeah. Now, Tish, take us through what Andrew Abdo said and let's talk about whether he should have said it. Yes, absolutely. So, look, Andrew Abdo, in an interview on 2GB, um, uh, the the night of... Um, so this is um, before the Warriors-Melbourne game, which is on at 7 and so it was around about six o'clock, and after the after the game, so straight after the um, the Anzate Test match, they were talking about how great it was. And then Mark Levy, the journalist, did ask uh, a little little bit about the Daniel Tupo um, escaping the sin bin for a high shot, uh, which a lot of people were stunned in because the the the, the fact is Daniel Tupo um, had about thirty or forty meters to make that decision of where he's going to tackle him, and he decided to tackle him the wrong way. Um, and yeah, surprisingly, uh, the NRL CEO weighed in. He he basically said, "I was very surprised it wasn't a sin bin. I think it should have been." Now, normally, you know, a play calls in. You know, uh, you know uh, sorry, a a uh, you know a uh, a person calls into a talkback radio. You know, you know the government's this, aliens are that, and the referees are all scum. And Daniel Tupper should have been sent off, right? That's what you hear. Nobody says anything <laughs> about it. But now you have Andrew Abdo saying it, and I think uh, I did see Phil Gould on 100% footy um, give a bit of a look. Uh, Andrew Abdo said that. That's interesting. And I heard a couple of other journalists say the same thing. So I suppose if you are the CEO of the NRL, you're in the admin role. You're not really sort of involved in day-to-day football operations. You're not in the judiciary. Does making a comment like this, are you allowed to make it? Does it unbiasedly, um, you know, like since you are sort of in charge of the, the judicial system in a way, 
Um, does it sort of, uh, you know, tamper with the process a little bit with the CEO making a comment like this? What do you think? What do you thoughts, Dr. Tech? Tisha, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a quote or a phrase around that we've, that those of us who have followed this game for many years will be well accustomed to. He has brought the game into disrepute. <laughs> and you know he should be fined accordingly. I think he should be. Uh, wow. Yeah. Look, why why isn't he being fined? Uh, look, where's Ricky Stewart and Jeff Tuvey asking for an investigation? Because I think that's the uh, that would be the main thing that uh, that we would be looking for an investigation. What do you think? Yeah, but perhaps perhaps an investigation. But I, I think all the evidence is already there in this one, right? Like. Um, Andrew Abdo has an opinion, <laughs> right? And he has expressed it. Um, yeah. So I suppose, yeah. So, so what was his state of mind when he was doing it? You know, was he, um, was he, you know, is this a grade one, you know, incident, you know, where it's, uh, you know, he wasn't really thinking that well, is it a grade two? Did he intentionally go on the show to bag the roosters? Um, you know, is it a grade three? You know, what is it? Is he, is he out for blood against Nick Politis, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, h- how do we grade this one? So, so yeah. But, yeah, I'm not too sure. Like, I, I feel like as a, as a person, he should – obviously, he should have an opinion. Like, you know, it's fine for him. And I, and I feel like he can express it, but I, but I feel like it probably should happen maybe after the decision's been made. So it doesn't uh, – there's sort of no undue pressure on the – uh, you know, on the people that are making the decision now to to try and um, to try and sort of you know appease their boss. I know that I think Daniel Shippo has been. Um, I, I think a lot of people thought it was a grade one high tackle, but they've classed it as a grade two, which is more around, along the lines of you know pre pre uh, you know sort of pre thinking. Um, so so a lot of people thinking that he's actually been like even though he wasn't Sinbin, he was graded harsher than normal and some people are suggesting that that could actually be the re- uh, the reason why is because of Andrew Abdo's comments. Um, do you think it played a part, Dr. T? What do you think? Well, we'll never know and this is why this is why they're, they're not paid to have opinions about things like that because as I said bringing the game into disrepute means mm. you have made a comment that now we are questioning whether it had an influence on a judicial yes. decision. It's that's the whole point of not people in those positions of power not having or expressing an opinion. They can have opinions, but not expressing them in, in any capacity because it, if any actions are taken, it could be seen as are oh, they're influencing the outcome, mm. and that is certainly. He probably just thought oh, I'm a punter. I just sort of make a comment. Oh yeah, I thought he should have got a symbian. Um, you know, the first part of the comment, I was very surprised it wasn't a symbian. It was fine. The the next part is a bit that, you know, I think it should have been. This is where he gets into trouble because uh, I don't think he has a right to say. I think it should have, like he's not an expert on this. He's got a. a what does he have, an MBA or a financial background, a COO background? Mm. He has no right to say whether, you know, certainly he has no more right than than any person off the street 
including us, Tish, <laughs> to have an authority, authoritative comment on whether Daniel Tupo uh, should have been simbined or not. And the reason for that is that the consequence of his comment is that it casts aspersions on and calls into question the, you know, the referee's decision on the field. And I think, again, that this is not the kind of thing that we need to worry about. Plenty of other things to worry about in the world of rugby league. And I think um, I think the right course of action should be the, that Andrew Abdo apologises, that the board fines him for making an inappropriate comment, and then let's move on. I think it's not that big a deal, um, but if it's not punished, it can be seen as letting it slide because he's a CEO and he's in a position of power. I think even CEOs need to be held accountable for every decision that they make, and it's up to the board, the ARLC commission, to do that. So, Peter Volandis, we're looking at you to come down on this decision and make make a call and require Abdo to apologise, and you know even some nominal fine. Let's uh, let's 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 equate it to the ones that Ricky Stewart would get for complaining about referees, shall we? Mm, yeah, <laughs> make it the same, ten thousand dollars or whatever it is. You know, that's a fair call because I just realised there's something else that's also happened, which is the on-field referee Adam G. He's actually been sacked for this week too. <laughs> So, why was oh, he sacked? Was it because yeah. the CEO? You know, again, Muddy it water, should not right? be yeah. in question. Uh, the fact that he made that comment, Andrew, has now us got us questioning whether he had uh, maybe he had a word in in behind the scenes to get rid of that. You know, I mean, probably not. But this is a problem if you don't if you're not transparent about owning up to these mistakes, people are going to speculate and that's the last thing we want. And that, quite frankly, is the definition of bringing the game into disrepute. <laughs> um, it's it's about, you know, this is not the kind of uh, reputation that we want the NRL to have. So, look, in the interest of transparency, PVL, get onto it, um, get him to apologise, fine him $10,000. If you want, get uh, Ricky Stewart to announce the fine. <laughs> Just to make him, make him feel nice about you know is involved in that, uh, but yeah, look, uh, I think that's that's that should be the end of that, and I think that we need to move on. But also, he needs to acknowledge that he's made a mistake. He yeah. shouldn't have uh, expressed that opinion. Well, well, um, look, well done for not taking the recommendation of Anthony Griffin, which is uh, two years in jail. <laughs> I think he was trolling. I think he was trolling with that comment. You see, he was trolling. Are we sure it was Anthony Griffin or Donald Trump that made that, that comment? Because that sounds a bit uh, that sounds a bit extreme. The thing is, Phil Gould didn't roll his eyes on that one, which I thought he would, considering their history. But anyway, that's fine. So um, I think he, Phil Gould probably knew it was a bit of a joke. But uh, all right, let's roll. Let's draw a line under that, uh, and let's move on to our final tackle, which is our round eight tips. Here we go. So uh, last week, oh, I got seven out of eight correct. That was pretty good. Which one did I get wrong? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, uh, South beating the Tigers because of the Tigers. Oh, there you go. Luke Brooks has undone my perfect record. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, you got five out of eight. 
which means I've caught up to you. So we are now on 38 mm. total for the year, which is uh, good. We have a bumper round eight coming up, some really, really great match matches uh, lined up for us. So yeah. let's I just, just realised I got a 5-8 because Luke Brooks was playing 5-8. There you go. The connection is very strong. Uh, all right. Let's go into it. So Broncos and Sharks is the Thursday night game. It's Suncorp Stadium. Uh, I'm tipping the Sharks on this one. Yeah, I'm tipping the Sharks as well. All right, easy enough. What about Titans and Panthers, the Friday night game at Seabus Super Stadium in uh, Gold Coast? I'm tipping the Panthers. Yeah, I'm off the Titans bandwagon, so I'm going to pick the Panthers here. Um, <laughs> yeah, too strong here for the, uh, for the Titans, yeah. All right. This one's probably going to be a little bit closer. The Rabbitohs and Sea Eagles is the Friday night game at Central Coast Stadium. I don't know which way this will go, but I'm tipping the Sea Eagles because I, I just get the feeling that DC is starting to sort of uh, – I think they're going to bounce back from that Sharks loss. Um, and I think the Rabbitohs potentially have lost their way a little bit this year. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Rabbitohs. I think that they were play really well against the Tigers and obviously lost. I think they're just going to, um, I think they're going to bounce back from 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 obviously that defeat. All right, um, the Warriors against the Raiders, a Saturday afternoon game at three p.m. This is a bit unusual uh, at Morton Daly Stadium, which is the the home of the future uh, Dolphins. Um, I'm tipping the Raiders on this one. I think uh, I think it's hard for the Warriors to recover after that shellacking at the hands of the Storm. Uh, I think the Raiders, you know, they have a lot of tweaks to to make, but um, they'll get back in the winning circle a little bit quicker. So I think the Raiders will win this one, and it'll be a close one against the Warriors. Yeah, I feel the Raiders are going really bad that they kind of, um, even if they are winning, they find a way to lose. Um, but they kind of do that this, uh, on the weekend as well. And, uh, so I'm, you know what? I'm going to tip the Warriors. I know they lost seventy to ten, but that, that's got to be motivation, right? If you can't get motivated after like embarrassing yourself like that, then I think yeah, then they've got really huge problems. <laughs> I don't think it's it's as bad as seventy to ten. So I think the Warriors for mine. All right, the Bulldogs and the Roosters are playing the Saturday uh, Twilight game, the 5.30 game at Stadium Australia in Sydney. I'm tipping an upset. I think the Bulldogs, I don't know what's going on. There's a bit of talk this week with uh, controversy around the training regime and the, the level at which Phil Gould has interfered and all sorts of shenanigans going on. I don't think that will be a distraction. If anything, I think that will galvanise the team and I think the Roosters, I was quite disappointed at the end of that game against the Dragons. The Dragons were out on their feet, and I think this was a case of the Roosters not being able to close it out. I don't know why that happened, but I think the Bulldogs, they've got enough firepower. They've just got to get it together. So I'm hoping that they'll turn around. Bulldogs for mine. Okay. I am going to tip the Roosters. I think, I think even though... Uh, the Roosters haven't been playing that well. I think Trent Robinson, he's playing the long game, right? He's scheming, he's planning. He wears a suit and tie at every game, you know, and I think I trust that more than the, you know, polo shirt and 
trackies from Trent Barrett. I feel like I just I feel like out of those two images, Trent, you know, Trent Robinson out of these two Trents has yeah. the more uh you know the he's he looks like he's got more of a plan, you know. The Trent Cup, we're gonna call it. <laughs> yeah, the Trent Cup, yeah. Co- the coach Trent Cup. Yeah. Um all right, so Roosters for yours. Eels and Cowboys are playing the Saturday evening game at TIO Stadium. Where is that? Is that in the Northern Territory, uh, potentially? That is, that is, yeah. That is Darwin. Darwin. Okay, there you go. So the Eels are travelling to Darwin right near <laughs> the Cowboys' hometown, I guess, or near enough in the top end. So this is a top-end clash. But I think the Eels will win this one. I think they've, they're on a roll. Um, I think they'll do uh, – they'll – pretty much destroy the Cowboys. Yeah, look, I am going to tip the Eels as well. I kind of remember, I think it was the same clash last year, right? The Eels were, like, dynamic up there, so I feel like they're going to be the same. All right, the Newcastle Knights and the Melbourne Storm play this Sunday afternoon game at 2 o'clock at Newcastle McDonald Jones Stadium. Uh, I think the Storm are going to be way too strong for them, but... uh, I think now that the Ponga situation has kind of resolved itself, I think the Knights will probably focus a little bit more. So I'm expecting not a 70 to 10 thrashing, but not necessarily a uh, 1 to 12 close game. Yeah. I think the um, I think the Newcastle Knights might actually break a record um, on, on, <laughs> on Sunday for the uh, largest home ground attendance for biggest shellacking. Right, so I'm going to tip the storm uh, because who can stop the storm at the moment, right? Nobody. Um, so that's where that, that that is. So yeah. All right, and finally, the Sunday evening. Oh, sorry, Sunday well, afternoon clash: the Dragons and the Tigers. Uh, look at Win Stadium, by the way, Wollongong. I I'm going to tip the Tigers, uh, and I think it's because even though the Dragons had a very emotional, strong win against the Roosters uh, on Anzac Day, I get the feeling that you know what we saw the Tigers do in the last two games isn't a fluke. I think they genuinely have turned their season around. I think you know you you were talking about Jackson Hastings, and look, there are some signs there that. Hastings is taking more of a leadership role. The fact that Luke Brooks put his hand up when all the pressure that he's been under recently, it got relieved when the Eels, uh, you know, with that with that epic kind of last minute, last second field goal with Jackson Hastings took all the pressure off Luke Brooks. But yet he last week put his hand up to take to you know to take that final field goal against the Rabbitohs to win it for them. And uh, look. At the end of the day, uh, there's a lot more signs that the Tigers are getting it together than than what I saw from the Dragons. Particularly at the end, they looked out on their feet. I, I think they won the game against the Roosters primarily on defence rather than uh, on anything they showed in attack. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Ben Hunt made a couple of really silly errors towards the end there. Could have cost them the game. Uh, you know, game management is an issue. And I think Purely on that basis, I'm going to tip the Tigers. Okay. I've got my eyes closed. I'm trying to think of the, about the vibrations of the universe because I've tipped against the Tigers 
and they've won. Now, wow. now I feel that they could win, but I'm scared about them getting too ahead of themselves. So I'm going to tip the Dragons again. <laughs> what? Yeah. Because I don't, I, I, I feel like I still have to be uh, angry at them a little bit. And like, because this is this, like the other two, you're not expected to win. So it's no pressure, right? It's Stallone, right? You know, it's it's Rocky 1 and Rocky 2, right? But what happens when you come up against Mr. T, right? Um, you know, which I can't remember what his name was in in in, in Rocky Three, right? You get trounced. Was it? Wasn't it? No, not Apollo Creed. You're right. What was his yeah, name? Uh, yeah. Anyway, but you know what I mean. You get trounced because you get to, uh, you know, you get too ahead of yourself. So I feel like the Tigers, for me, um, you know, th- they really can't feel like they're on top of the world. I mean, they've got to feel the confidence, but they really can't let their guard down until they are in the top eight, right? Because they're still running 14th or 15th. So I feel like, I feel like you know what? Uh, I'm going to tip the Dragons because I, I feel like the tight. I mean, look, does this really matter? Are they even listening? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what to say. I'm going to, yeah, you know what? Let's go the Tigers. Let me just change it. Oh, oh you changed it. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> this is oh, what goodness. happens. This is what happens when you go against your team, right? It's... Uh, and they win. Well, I was going to say, if you had stuck with the Dragons, I was going to say you have chosen a superstitious belief that your tip is is more important, more influential to the outcome of the game yeah. than, than uh, Michael Maguire's very clear and transparent decision to go with the different lineup and Jackson Hastings <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. You have opted for your superstition being the reason that the yeah. Tigers have been winning, but I'm glad that you have seen reason and you have seen the light. Thank you, Dr. T. But, but what it, have gone with your heart, more okay, importantly. Well, well, look, what what this has shown me is that, you know, if the Tigers are playing and then from my couch I shout, go the Tigers, it means nothing. <laughs> Right, but we just say it right, like you know, like because, like, sometimes it, fundamentally, as a fan, you believe kind of like when you're cheering, it is having an effect on the players, even though you're not in the same geographic location as them, right? <laughs> so I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a deeper thing. We're all connected uh, in some way or another. You know, human beings. We're we're a we're, you know a herd. So anyway. we're, we're a collective conscious. Uh, look, and, and, and you, it is late, and this is probably why we're thinking this way. So yeah, that's right. And you're starting to sound like Jackson Hastings. <laughs> obviously, obviously, he's a guru because you know anyone with a, a, two two surnames as a name <laughs> has got to be a guru. You that's know, right. he's that's a right. he's like the uh, he he's a white version of uh, an uh, an Indian Swami in the yeah. Himalayas. Uh, you know. Or or of a Mr. Miyagi, let's just well, say. If you're character. If, if you're if you have two surnames, you're twice the finisher than <laughs> a Luke Brooks who has two first names. <laughs> there you go. Well, on that note, <laughs> let's wrap up this uh podcast. Like I said, it was an epic one. We had a lot to talk about. Thanks, Tish, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, looking forward to an epic weekend of football. Uh, if you can, get out there, support your team, 
if not, uh, support the television stations that <laughs> with eyeballs on the screen. Uh, and thank you so much for supporting us and uh, listening to our drivel and our shenanigans. Uh, you can catch us on rlrepublic.com, uh, www.rlrepublic.com, and uh, uh, the usual sort of social media things and Apple iTunes and things like that where you can download our podcast, but you can go directly to our website and you can do that there as well. Tish, over to you to wrap this up. Well, Dr. T, thank you so much. And look, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But that's all for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.